Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, and one body and each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, May. A very good afternoon, everyone. And uh, can I add my welcome to that as Suzanne's? Welcome to those of you who are joining us on our live stream. Uh, my name's Alex, in case I haven't met you before. It is wonderful to have our children and youth in the service uh, participating along with uh, May from Home for You. Thank you for the reading, May. Um, everyone getting involved in different parts of the service for this all-age service. A community is a wonderful thing, and I do want to commend to you the story written by uh, Leanne in today's bulletin as we think about connecting in community. And the other thing I just want to commend quickly to you is our Q&A sessions. Uh, every week uh, during this series, we're uh, talking about your questions about issues that are brought up in these sermons. And uh, Darren and I and John and a few others are, are talking about them, and we release a video uh, Q&A each Thursday as we respond uh, to God's Word. So I want to encourage you to keep getting involved with that. The email is on the screen behind me. Let me pray for us as we come to the Lord's Word. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you for our community. We thank you that uh, you have formed us together from different backgrounds, different ages, different gifts, different stories, to be uh, your people, your family of believers here at St Andrews. Uh, thank you that we can celebrate that today. And we do thank you for your Word. Thank you that it tells us the true story of Jesus and what you have done to uh, bring us forgiveness through Him. Uh, Lord, we ask that You'd help us to respond appropriately to Your Word. Uh, help us not to conform to the world, but to be transformed in accordance with Your will. And we pray that more and more today as we hear Your Word read and explained. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a little while ago, uh, my wife Megan showed me a product that she bought. Now, this product was not immediately apparent to me what, it was, what it's supposed to be used for. Uh, I said, you know, uh, is it supposed to punch holes in things? Is it stationary? Is it supposed to be used on clothes? Now, a lot of you have probably already identified it, right? You're a lot brighter than me. Um, it 
pits seeds. It takes seeds out of olives and cherries. Uh, that's, that's what it's used for. Um, it was a new function to me. Now, of course, if you go looking around a kitchen, there are all sorts of bizarre and interesting kitchen utensils. For instance, here is one. What do you think this is used for? <laughs> well, it's a condiment gun, okay? You shoot ketchup and tomato sauce and mayonnaise and mustard and things like that. Or what about this next one? It makes dumplings, apparently. That's what it's supposed to do. Uh, you normally craft dumplings by hand, but not this thing. Uh, or what about these? Yeah, it's a bit of both. It's called a chalk, a combination between fork and chopsticks. Now, now you, you've guessed it, okay? You've probably realized already most of these, all of these products are made by and for Americans. Um, that's who they're for. But it gets us to ask that very important question, what are things for? Because when you understand what things are for, you understand what they are. And that goes for so many things in life. When you understand what it's for, you understand what they are. Now, what about us? Uh, what about our bodies? What, what are we for? You know, the Apostle Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Uh, Paul is speaking to Christians, and he says, the body, your body, is for the Lord, and the Lord is for your body. Now, that means... Our bodies are not spiritually irrelevant. If you've become a Christian, then your body is not for you to do with as you want. It's for the Lord's. Uh, it's meant to be used for Him, to be orientated around Him. Our body's purpose is, is service to the Lord. Uh, now, if you're new here today, we're, we've been in a series called uh, The Body, A Guide for Occupants. And we're thinking about all these questions and how the Bible answers them about our body. Uh, we've been looking at how our body has been created by God, how it's fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, we've been looking at how the body is broken. We don't always function properly. But today, we want to be thinking a little bit more clearly about the difference the gospel makes to our bodies. We want to see that if our body is for the Lord, it helps us to understand who we are. What difference does the gospel make to our bodies? And we're going to be thinking about that question as we look at this passage that May just read for us. It's a very famous passage from Romans chapter 12. As we look at it, there are three points. Offering your body, transforming your body, your body in the context within the body of Christ. We begin at verse 1. Paul says, "'Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. The metaphor that's being used here is of a worshipper at the temple. In the Old Testament, God's people would go to the temple in Jerusalem and bring offerings. Now, some of the offerings at the temple were what you call sin offerings. The worshipper would bring an animal maybe a bull or a goat or a lamb, it would be brought to the priest and you would symbolically put your hands on that animal's head and your sins would be transferred to that animal and that animal would be sacrificed. Its blood would pay symbolically for your sins. But Paul can't be comparing the offering of our bodies to a sin offering. 
It can't be that we offer our own bodies to pay for our sins. It can't be that we offer our own bodies as a kind of transaction with God. God, if I live the good life, then you've, you've, you've got to forgive my sins. You've got to get me to heaven. That can't be the case. Why? Well, it's because of what appears at the very beginning of these verses. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. There is the word, therefore. You know, the previous 11 chapters, Paul has been speaking about the grand sweep of human history and of our sin and what God has done through Jesus to pay for our sins so that we can have forgiveness. That's why he says, in view of God's mercy. It's because of God's mercy that we have a relationship with Him. Now, that means that when Paul tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, he must be talking about some other kind of offering instead of a sin offering. Well, in the Old Testament, the people weren't just told to bring sin offerings to the temple. They were also told to bring whole burnt offerings to the temple. That is, you, you brought an animal the best from your flock, unblemished, unspoilt, and you offered that to God at the temple. It was a way of, of you bringing your best, not, not your leftovers, of showing complete devotional devotion to God, a life of complete dedication, that you were grateful for what He was providing for you, and you were showing trust and dependence on God, that He was going to provide for you everything you needed in the year to come. It was a way of giving God your best. Now, when Paul says to us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, uh, he's telling us to offer our best to God. He's telling us uh, not to hold back from Him, not to have this mindset of saying to God, God, I'll give you this part of my life, but not that part of my life. Um, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Paul is telling us not to have that mindset. But notice as well this, Paul uses this paradoxical, this strange phrase, living sacrifice. I mean, in the Old Testament, when you offered something, when you offered a sacrifice, it stopped being living. It was sacrificed, it was dead, it was done. How can we therefore have these living sacrifices? Because when you brought a sacrifice, you brought your animal, you brought your grain offering, whatever, and once you did the offering, it was, it was over. You know, a sacrificed bull or goat cannot crawl off the altar. But a living sacrifice is, is, is never over, is it? You see, the Old Testament sacrifices, in some respects, were not a problem. Um, you killed it, and then that was it. You burnt it, and it was over. But a living sacrifice means... Every day, every hour, every moment, all the time you have to consciously, deliberately, purposefully offer yourselves to God. It's constant, it's intense, it's, it's never over. Now that means that what Paul is asking us to do in offering our, our bodies as living sacrifices is entirely different. It's entirely different from what was asked in the Old Testament because it's never over. And it's entirely different from this modern conception of religion and spirituality because it means all of life. You know, as modern people, we, we want to retain control. We want to keep our options open. We want to say, well, I'll do this, but not that. But Paul is saying the Christian life means you put to death your right to choose. 
you put to death the idea that you belong to yourself. You put to death the idea that you know best for what happens in your life. You put to death all of those things and you give it to God. Now, it does feel really like death to say to God, God, you know best. You know my future, I don't. You know what I need most, I don't. And you say in your word that your word is true. And even though sometimes I find it hard to, to trust in it and believe it, I'm going to obey it anyway. It, it feels like a kind of death all the time to give up that kind of control. To say to God, God, you call the shots, not me. But notice this as well. Paul says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. Now that word for proper is often translated as reasonable. In other words, it makes sense for us to do this. It is proper, it is reasonable, it makes sense for us to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Why? Well, we're always going to be offering our bodies to something. We're always going to devote our lives. Our lives will be orientated around something. We, we know that deep down, whether it's your career success or your reputation or, or your family success um, maybe some sort of cause, we're always going to be worshipping something. That is, attributing to something ultimate worth. It's what we think about all the time. It's what our energies go into. We're always going to devote our lives, offer our lives to something. But the thing is, your job, even your family or your reputation or, or some achievement, they can't forgive your sins. As good as they are, they can't die for you. They can't give you eternal life. They can't do for you what Jesus has done for you. And so therefore, it is proper, it is reasonable for us to offer our lives to Jesus because after all, He has given His life for us. And there is no one else in the whole universe who is, who is more worthy of our praise, of us to give our lives over to them. Now, Paul tells us to offer our bodies, but then he also says that our bodies should be transformed. And so, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Um, notice that Paul is setting up a contrast between two patterns. There's the pattern of this world and there's the pattern according to God's will. He contrasts them because they're different. And we're given a choice. We cannot live according to both patterns. Paul tells us uh, to recognize and reject the pattern, the way of thinking and behaving of this world. And instead, he wants us to embrace God's perfect will, the characteristics, habits, priorities, choices which honor God's. Now, inevitably, that means that our bodies will be transformed. Now, the word that, that Paul uses here for transformed is the Greek word metamorphio, which, which we often use for an outward change, a metamorphosis in our habits. And that is right. Part of being transformed means to have different habits. But we know that the outside is first transformed by what happens on the inside. That's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to think differently. 
We need to think differently about who Jesus is. We need to think differently about this world that He's put us in. Now, it's often very easy for us to say, Jesus, I want to give you my body. I want to give you my everything, all of my life. It's very easy for us to say those kinds of things because they're wonderfully non-specific. You know, it just seems like an empty platitude that leads to very little meaningful change. In Romans 6, Paul actually tells us how we're to offer transformed bodies. He says in verse 13, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Uh, Paul is saying this, Sin is no longer to reign in your bodies. That's how it was before, before we knew Jesus as our Saviour. But now that Jesus reigns in our hearts, there has been a transfer of ownership. That means we're not supposed to live according to sin's agenda anymore. Our bodies are supposed to be for God and His agenda. And it's incredible. Paul is saying all the parts of your body can be used in worship and service to God. Now, let's just think practically for a moment what this means. Um, it means, for instance, offering your ears to God. You know, there's all sorts of voices in our world that are competing for your attention, right? Um, your news stream, your social media, your, your, your streaming platforms, um, your friends, your family, your boss, your TV. There's all sorts of different voices demanding our attention. But to offer our ears to God means to say to Him, God, I want to hear your voice first and foremost. I want your voice to be the voice through which I filter everything else that's being spoken to me in this world. Or we don't just offer our ears to God, we offer our eyes to God. We pray to God and say, God, help me see this world the way you see the world. There's this extraordinary spot in Mark chapter 6 that's easy to skip over. Jesus has been just teaching a large crowd of people and it's getting late, everyone's hungry and his disciples say to him, just send the people away so they can get food. And Mark tells us, almost incidentally, that Jesus looked at this whole crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see big crowds like on Nathan Road or at the shopping malls, my default way of seeing them is not compassion, it's irritation. <laughs> you know, how, how do you look at people at work, your colleagues, maybe friends or family members who are going to their judgment without knowing Jesus as their saviour? When we offer our eyes to Him, we say, Lord, help me to see the lost like you see the lost. We offer our eyes and our ears, but we also offer our feet. We say to God, God, where do you want me to go? Now, that could just be a short-term question this afternoon. God, who do you want me to encourage this afternoon? Who can I spend time with to encourage in the faith? It could be a longer-term question. God, I'm about to retire. I've got maybe 10, 20 who knows how many more years, how do you want me to use this time for your service? We offer our feet to God, we offer our hands to God. That means what we do with our hands, you could say our work. We, we say to God, God, I've got this job and sure, um, th this job helps to pay for, for, for my lifestyle, it provides for me and my family, but I know work is meant to be more than that. I know it's meant to be more than my reputation. How can I use my job to help my community? How can I, I, I do my job well? 
not just so it profits me, but it profits the people around me and it helps other people to know the love of Jesus. God, help me to use my time outside of my work, maybe my volunteering opportunities, needs in the community. Show me, God, how I can use the skills, the time, the talents, the treasures that you've given me. Now, these types of questions were the types of questions that the early Christians asked. They lived in a world that was hostile to Jesus. And they knew that the gospel changed everything in life, including how we use those commodities of most value in this world, like money and sex and power. You know, in the ancient world, money was treated as sacred, but sex was treated as transactional. And you know, the modern world isn't too different to the ancient world, is it? And so money was, was meant to be guarded and kept and, 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 and treated as sacred, whereas sex, you could just throw it around, use it however you please. But the early Christians knew that, that God said the complete opposite. Money is not sacred, sex is. Money is supposed to be used generously for God's purposes, whereas sex is to be guarded and kept within the confines of a monogamous relationship between a husband and wife. The Christians lived in the world, these early Christians, but they were not of the world. And, and so we see that, for instance, in this incredible quote. Uh, we get a picture of this in the Epistle to Diognetus, which was written in about the second century. And here the author is, is talking about Christians. He says, They live in their own countries, but only as aliens. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring. That means they didn't get involved in infanticide, killing their children when they weren't wanted. They, they share their food, but not their wives. They are poor, yet they, are, they make many rich. They are in need of everything, yet they abound in everything. That's a picture of transformed bodies. So Paul tells us to offer transformed bodies, but then immediately he talks about the body of Christ. And so verse 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not always have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Paul's saying our bodies are transformed in the context of a spiritual body of believers. In other words, transformation never happens in isolation. Individual transformation happens in the context of a community of people being transformed. Jesus compares our bodies, uh, the spiritual body of Christ, to a human body. A human body has, has different parts that are intimately connected to one another. Your hands are connected to your arms, they're connected to your torso, they're dependent on the heart and the lungs. We have feet that, that, that make sure we get around. They're, they're, they're dependent upon one another, they each have different functions. And for the mutual flourishing of the whole, once one part starts failing, the rest of us starts failing. And so it is with Christians. We need to be deeply connected with one another if we are going to, to grow and thrive. Now, sometimes we, we say to ourselves, you know, I just, I just don't see what I can do to contribute to people around me. You know, I don't, I don't really know how I can help other people thrive in their faith. You know, I find Christians a lot of time to be, frankly, weird or irritating. I, I, I don't always want to be connected to them. What can I do? Paul says this, 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Each of us has different gifts. What does that mean? Well, on the one hand, yes, it means you do have a gift, even if you think you don't. Because Paul says, God has given to each of us a gift. No one is left out. And the way we often discover our gifts is by getting involved. It's by getting connected in community, by getting involved, by by seeing what the needs are around us and by getting our hands dirty. The way, Paul says, you grow and thrive in the Christian life is by serving and using your gifts to help other Christians grow and thrive in the Christian life. There's this incredible mutuality about it. But then, on the other hand, Paul tells us there should be no passive Christians. There should be no people who just come to church in order to get their batteries recharged and then go out into their week just to forget all about it and live according to their own agenda. That's not the Christian life. That's just consumerism. So, let me ask you a question. Are you connected here? It's brilliant that we come along each Sunday, but let me ask you, are you in a small community of people, where you know one another deeply, where you're able to meet regularly and and pray and learn and care and and confess with one another and and, and push one another along in the Christian life. Are you serving and using your gifts? Today is a brilliant demonstration of that as we see our youth and children and all the leaders getting involved to put together together, uh, this service. I know Hong Kong is is a busy place and we've all got lots of demands and responsibilities. But Paul says we're supposed to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That means we don't give our leftovers, we give our best to God. And that's how we get transformed. That's what supercharges the Christian life as we seek to use what God has given us for His purposes. Now, I want to say that what Paul is saying here, the connection that Paul is making is no accident. The connection between individual transformation and spiritual community is no accidents because you are always formed by the community that you are most connected with. Remember, Paul has been setting up this contrast between the pattern of this world and the pattern of God's will. The pattern of this world which is in contrast to God and the pattern of God's will of a community that's being transformed for and by God's. Because you are going to be formed by one or the other more strongly. You are going to be discipled more strongly by one or the other. I mean, make no mistake, our world will disciple you. All you have to do is just take your phone out of your pocket and for five minutes, look at your socials, look at the news media, look at your streaming platforms, and you are being discipled. You are being shown a vision of the good life according to the principles and priorities of this world. You are always being shown how to conform to this world's way of thinking, its habits and its priorities. You are always being shown how to conform to this world in contrast to conforming to God's will. That's why Christian community is absolutely vital for individual transformation. It helps us to transform to God's will. Uh, One of the TV shows I watch uh, about every year is a TV show on HBO called The Band of Brothers. Um, You may have seen it in case you haven't. It's pretty intense, uh, brutal, 
often uncomfortable. Um, in case you haven't seen it, it's about a group of American paratroopers called Easy Company as they're parachuted into France in World War II. And I like the show because apart from it being about you know, duty and servanthood and brotherhood and, and bravery, it's about formation. Because here you get an ordinary group of men who volunteer for a cause and they get trained and they get transformed and they develop an identity and they, they, they turn from being ordinary men and they identify as, as easy company and that shapes their whole lives. And there's one particular episode where easy company are put into a forest in Bastogne in, in Belgium. Uh, it's the Battle of the Bulge and, and the Germans are on the offensive and the American commander says to the leader of easy company, a guy called Captain Winters, the Germans are coming. You're going to be surrounded. And Captain Winters responds, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. You know, here is a group of people who, who are transformed and they go on a, on a mission together. And if you're a Christian, you're in the same situation. You know, I could get you to, to look at one another right now, the people in the seats next to you, and, 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 and realise that you're, you're a group of people who've been called together. You've got a new identity, a common identity. You're being transformed together. You're, you're, you're on mission together. None of this is by accident. You know, the first time I, I read Romans 12, 1 to 2 when, when, was when I was 16. Um, my brother, who had become a Christian a few years before me, had written these two verses on a small piece of paper and put it up on his wall. I can still remember that piece of paper right now. I can, I can see it in my mind. I can, I can remember my brother's handwriting. I can remember my incomprehension at those words. But when God put His Spirit into my heart and enabled me to believe in His Son as my Lord and Saviour, I took that piece of paper off my brother's wall and I put it on my wall. You know, I didn't come from a Christian family. I didn't know how to not conform to this world. I didn't know what it looked like to look at my career choices or lifestyle habits through the lens of the gospel. I didn't know what it looked like to be a Christian man and a Christian husband and a Christian father. But God put people in my life to show me and he put communities around me to encourage me. And he does the same thing for you if you just grab hold of the opportunity. You're not meant to do this Christian life on your own. You are impoverished and stagnant if you do. Paul says to the Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Jesus has bought you at a price. He went to the cross and offered his body for yours and paid the highest price, the ultimate price for you. And now when he looks upon you, he delights in you. He has no buyer's remorse. Therefore, offer your bodies to him. Give your life to him. Don't hold back. Don't give him your leftovers. Give him your best. Because that is how we are supposed to live. It gives us most fulfillment, but it honours him above all else. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for, for the gospel. 
of your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ. Thank you that in your mercy we have been forgiven and that we are offered eternal life. And, and, and thank you, Lord, that you are changing us, even slowly you are transforming us by your Spirit and that you use community, you, 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 you use others in our lives to serve us, to point us towards Jesus, to encourage us, to spur us on. Uh, Lord, we want to ask for forgiveness for, for the times where we hold back from you, when we're involved in selective obedience, where we can say to God, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll change here, but I'm not going to change there. Forgive us, Lord, for just being involved in negotiated obedience. And would you guide us by your Holy Spirit, put conviction in our hearts, shine the spotlight of your Spirit on different areas of our lives where we're not honouring you, where we do need to change, where we do need to get involved more, connected more. I thank you for our community, thank you that we're a broken group of sinners but have been showed your grace and you do extraordinary things through us as a result. And so would you help us as a community to live for you as we seek to point one another to Jesus all the time. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen.